There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to Dragoncast, home of House of the Dragon. Gather your small council, send out your ravens and call in your bannermen. I'm Hand of the King Jamie East, here to guide you through the highly anticipated return to Westeros. Yes, hello, hello, House of the Dragon, the long-awaited successor series to Game of Thrones is now just only a matter of days or a week away. Joining me today to discuss all things House of the Dragon and the state of the realm since we last spent any time over there are Elio and Linda from Westeros.org. Hello. Hi there. Hi there. And journalist Chris Mandel. Chris, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Pleasure. Right, let's do this. Goodness gracious me, I did not expect to be back here in the kind of vague kind of throne casty uh, universe so soon. Uh, 2019, said goodbye to the studio, to Sky, to HBO, to the Night King, to we left Bran kind of like becoming the Bran the Wise and all the things that went. John's rambling around in the mountains somewhere. Um, and I thought that was it. And then, of course, the deluge of prequel rumours started to hit probably about not long after, I think, probably about six months after, I think, Game of Thrones. And there were talks of five pilots being made, ten pilots being made. And in the end, uh, there was a pilot that was made that didn't didn't go any further. And all of the interest and all of the money and all of the resource and all of the might of George R. Martin and everything got thrown into what we now know as House of the Dragon. And if you're new to me, uh, I'm Jamie East. I am the co-presenter of uh, Thronecast on Sky Atlantic, uh, have been for, I think, maybe about five seasons. I can't remember. Five, four or five seasons spent getting ingrained in the universe of HBO and Sky Atlantic and, and Belfast and meeting all the cast and the crew and the people that made the swords. So I am absolutely delighted uh, that they decided to uh, to do this again because, hey, there's nothing I love more than talking about Game of Thrones. And joining me each week is going to be hopefully some cast members, some behind the scenes people. You never know, maybe a showrunner or two. But every single week, rain or shine, winter or summer, fire or ice, will be Chris Mandel. Uh, Chris, we've known each other for a while now, right? Yeah, we've known each other for a long time through thick and thin. Uh, yeah, it's really exciting to be back talking about uh, House of the Dragon with you and going back to Westeros uh, once again. 
So you're 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 a journalist, and you're you know we we we've kind of bonded over kind of quality dramas. Let's say you've been on the previously on podcast when we did Succession. Yeah, and I, I would rather have no one else as my. Uh, I'm hand of the king to Sue Perkins, and you're my hand of the king. How's that? I don't know what that. Yeah, means. the hands hand the hands is hand. the sort of official title I've given myself. Well, the pinky finger on the hand. The pinky finger. The oh, fine. Okay, you like the pod. <laughs> you like you like a mini podrick. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and um, whenever. Whenever Thronecast was stuck or were unsure of anything uh, or was terrified of upsetting the book people, as we used to call them in TV land, there were only two people that we knew who to call. Elio and Linda from Westeros.org. How are you guys? Well, great. And it is great to be back. It's a little surreal in, in some way, as you said, that this was still going to continue and that it was going to be such a big production again. So it's, it's a really interesting position to be in. And uh, great to have a chance to get into this new show. And for those listening or watching on YouTube that don't know what you do, or they won't know what I do, or anything like that, give us a sense of of how you you are so ingrained into the Game of Thrones universe. You are the people that George R. R. Martin gets in touch with when he forgets things about Westeros. Isn't that right? <laughs> that is true. He's called us Meisters and his Archmeisters before. Uh, we won Westeros.org, which is sort of the oldest, largest sort of fan site for the books. And we have, from that, we ended up working with George. We wrote The World of Ice and Fire in 2014, and uh, we are soon having another book coming out, which is very relevant to this particular series. So I can see it in the background for those that are watching on, yeah. on, on the YouTube channel, uh, The Rise of the Dragon. Is that what it's called? That is correct. Uh, it's sort of um, a heavily illustrated companion to The World of Ice and Fire, which is very much taking the text of Fire and Blood, which is what the show is based on, and making it a bit more concise for people who thought, you know, 700 pages of history were a bit too much for them. And they wanted, you know, more art with a lot more blood and violence and dragons, lots and lots of dragons. That brings us neatly into, I guess, what we should tackle first. You know, um, there are going to be a lot of people that read and poured over every single page of every single book and are slavishly waiting for the next one. It seems as though you hijacked George's uh, word processor whilst it, and stopped him from finishing the bloody things uh, to, to do The Rise of the Dragon with him. Um, and there are others who were more casual viewers of the show, knew that the books existed, but didn't really kind of venture into that land. And, you know, for many, many, many reasons. But it's rare that we get to kind of start a Game of Thrones adventure from a completely blank slate. Are we at a blank slate, though, or is this based on something that already exists that people already know what happens it's a good question uh obviously fire and blood is a book that george wrote in part because of the world of ice and fire where he had to he created the Tyrion history and it was so big that we couldn't put it all into the, the world of ice and fire and then he published fire and blood but a lot of people don't really know about it however there have been references to the history of the Targaryens in game of thrones and in fact, some very specific references to the uh, future events of House of Dragons in certain episodes of Game of Thrones, where in fact, uh, technically, if you've watched Game of Thrones, you've already been spoiled uh, yes, by how Joffrey it's... spoiled you. Of all, you know, of all the people, Joffrey has spoiled you if you watched it Game of Thrones. It would be that little. Sh- it would be that little. <laughs> it sh- would be, wouldn't it? it? <laughs> what I, I mean, I mean, it, I guess, are they even spoilers? If it, you know, I, I think we can probably delve into those, can't we? What do we already know? I mean, we know about the Mad King. We knew that the target. Targaryens were in power. 
for a long, 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 long time. We knew that there were tons of dragons. We all knew that it went horribly, horribly wrong at some point. Um, But aside from that, I guess we're talking about throwaway lines or or kind of things that were casually mentioned. Right. Chris, are you aware of these? Do you know what what Elio and Linda are going to divulge? I have a passing knowledge of the Dance of the Dragons, which is the event that I understand forms... Uh, a lot of the events of this series I sort of know the rough outcome I wouldn't say I could tell you like in what order things go down but it's such I I considered getting into the the material before the show because I really enjoyed having read the books before watching Game of Thrones like I really loved um, having a slightly extra layer of, of understanding of what was going on and sometimes what was left off the screen. And I haven't done that this time because it was a little bit intimidating. So I don't really know. I just know that the Targaryens, it's like a civil war between different factions of the families and it doesn't end well for anyone. <laughs> but is that is that accurate? Yeah, I think, you know, that's fair to say that, you know, civil wars rarely come out nice and neat. So, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. sort of what one can be expecting in the sort of the large scale that nasty and brutish. <laughs> so what, what was the what was the what was the thing that Joffrey gave away then? Oh well, he kind of uh, tells us the fate of one of the major protagonists or antagonists. Oh, okay. Let's not. Let's not. Let's, so let's, let's, let's not touch that. Yeah. But basically, it was just, okay. it's kind of funny. But basically, it's, it's a throwaway line there. But it's a lot of things like you know, people were concerned about Game of Thrones and how going past the books would ruin it for people who are waiting for the books. And I've always been, and I think it's the same in this. It's the journey that matters. It's the, how you get to this point. It's mm-hmm. one thing to hear so and so kills so and so. It's quite another to see how and why it happens. And this is what House of a Dragon is going to give uh, viewers who are familiar with the material and who aren't familiar with the material. I mean, you can watch a history movie that's, you know, based on a historical event. And, and, and you know that Caesar is going to get very stabbed at the end if you're watching something about, you know, Caesar's rise to power in, in Rome. Uh, most people know that it's not going to end that well for Caesar, but you can still really enjoy watching what somebody does with the story. No, for sure. And I think, you know, that's, I think that's what a lot of Game of Thrones book fans are waiting for, for the book. Obviously, the, mm. the, the TV series, you know, split in the fork in the roads, they left towards the end. The fabled has it. Now, I don't want to dwell on Game of Thrones too much because we're in a new yeah. dawn. But, no. you know, legend has it, George sat down with Daniel and David at, at the very early days and said, here's the end point. How you get there, that can be pretty fluid. But, you know, we can assume that even in George's mind, Bran was the uh, Bran was on the throne. John ended up in, you know, just sod off to the wilderness again uh, you know all of those things we can assume so i agree with you the journey is how we get there right let's set the universe because prequels are really tricky to to kind of set we we remember westeros as being kind of ashes really the last time we saw it it was rubble it was you know king's landing pretty much was gone there was just a white horse kind of charging around if i remember last time and prequels have a tendency to kind of go this was before, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the Star Wars prequels when they, they tried to, they, we were used to dirty, knackered old Jedis. And then all of a sudden we were in this opulent kind of like story about taxation. What's the universe like in Westeros in House of the Dragon? Well, at this point in time, Westeros has seen unprecedented levels of peace and prosperity. It is actually, really, it is the high point of the Targaryen dynasty. Uh, so it is a, it is a very opulent time. It's a very, um, potentially decadent time. And it's a time, uh, full of 
colorful figures and, you know, grand tournament symbols and... And lots and lots of dragons. And lots and lots of dragons. When we say lots and lots... I can't, I can't picture in my head, you know, because they're so big. You know, we know, we know Daenerys had three and she struggled to kind of, well, she didn't keep all of them in the end, but, you know. I think the count of, of live dragons at, at the point where House of the Dragons starts is 17. Not all of them are adults, but uh, I think that was the count that somebody gave at least. In, in, maybe not at the start of House of Dragons, it starts a little earlier. That's but, true. Some of them are born later. But as a well. lot of dragons. But the peak is 17, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I was Expect, I, I couldn't in my mind I was like is it going to be hundreds is it going to be going to be 10 okay this is uh, see now I'm just thinking of, of kind of like a gory version of how to train your dragon which is, which probably isn't what they're aiming for so. <laughs> well <laughs> you, never, you never know <laughs> what about the, the wider area so we know that Dragonstone uh, does that come into being in the house of the dragon do they arrive or or do we do we kind of land in the thick of the Targaryen rule very much in the thick of it. Uh, Dragonstone has, I mean, they found themselves there about a hundred years before Aegon and his sisters conquered it, which is about 300 years prior to Game of Thrones or 200 years prior to House of a Dragon. Uh, so it's, Dragonstone is the seat of the air. More like 130 years prior to House That's of a, the Dragon. The, uh, look how some stuff they get, Chris. Yes. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> So good. Well, actually, it's technically 107. But anyway, <laughs> it gets very confused of all this. But yeah. uh, in any case, the fact is, is that it is, uh, the HBO uses 200 years. It's approximately 200 years. So if you've got to yeah. round up, right? Yeah. So it's the seat of the heir to the Iron Throne. But the, the king at this time is uh, Viserys, the, the first of his name, who um, in Fire and Blood, he's described as a bit portly, a very jolly fellow who loved his feasts, who loved his tournaments, who loved his, you know, dance and masquerades and uh, he's he's someone who ends up finding that running the seven kingdoms isn't just a big party all the time okay okay and what else is happening in in the world of of, of westeros then we know the wall was built i guess thousands and thousands of years before that the wall presumably exists it's it's a known thing is that right absolutely the night's watch exists they've existed for thousands of years and they're just sitting there waiting for by this point in time you know there's legends of of you know the long night when these others these white walkers came down but at this point people think they're gone they've been dead as far as anyone knows for thousands of years and it's you know this the occasional wildling raid that they fend off it's uh no one really cares about the night's watch very much at this point in time Although it should be said that in the prior king's reign, he and his queen, Jaehaerys, the old king, and his queen, Alessani, actually visited the wall and uh, she uh, went flying to look at it on, on her dragon. So the Targaryens haven't, at least in relatively recent memory, not completely forgotten about it. They did give them some the wall some support at that point. But overall, yes, it's not something that is in everybody's mind all the time, certainly. Okay. And what about overseas? Essos and, and all of those kind of places, are they are they kind of in contact with Westeros at this point? What's the deal? Absolutely. There's all, all sort of trades contact between them, of course. Uh, this is a very interesting period where, where House of Dragons starts off, however, because there is a an alliance starts forming between several of the free cities, which causes problems in you know, the narrow sea that divides Westeros from Essos. Problems that will have a, an effect, I think, on, on events in House of a Dragon. Also, an important point to note is that 
Dorne is not yet a part of the Seven Kingdoms. Uh, They have not been brought in. So they are actually a separate kingdom. And while Aegon and his sisters attempted to conquer them and bring them into the realm, uh, they managed to resist. And right now there have not been any further attempts to bring them under Targaryen rules. So while they claim it in their title, that they are rulers of the Rhoynar as well. Yeah. That is not, in fact, true. For those that aren't or have forgotten, uh, Dawn was, like, in before the Iron Throne, Dawn was around way back yonder, 12, apparently 12,000 years, the first men crossed the land bridge from Essos uh, to Dawn. Remind people of, of, of how we know Dawn from, from the Game of Thrones series. Well, we were first introduced to Dorne uh, via uh, Prince Oberyn, the Red Viper, who came to find justice for his family in King's Landing and ended up championing Tyrion and fighting a single combat against the mountain, um, which didn't go so well. And then things went uh, rather poorly in, in Dorne in general as his lover, Elaria, took over things later on, uh, killed off uh, the rest of the family other than her daughters and, and then they all ended up dying in the conflict yeah. with uh, Cersei and the Iron Throne. It's the hot place that was responsible for the Sand Snakes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's another way of putting Chris, is there anything from that that, that, that tantalises you at this point? We, you know, we're entering a kind of like a new world. We've, we've, it kind of feels familiar, but feels fresh as well, right? Yeah. I think that the really exciting thing for me is seeing geographically, like Westeros will look very different to how it does on Game of Thrones. Like not only because it's set so long ago, but like different families, maybe uh, not in, in in different seats of power. Or the, the one thing I keep thinking of is, is Harrenhal, which was in Game of Thrones was a sort of destroyed, cursed castle. My immediate thought is, is that around in House of the Dragon? And is that being ruled by someone? And like, it, you know, can, can Elio and Linda sort of shed a bit of light on, on that for us? Harrenhal, uh, you know, it was ruined when Aegon and his sisters uh, conquered the Seven Kingdoms. Aegon uh, burned it very in slag, turned into slag. But uh, there is a lord uh, at this time I, who may, I, I don't know, who may actually appear on House of a Dragon. But it's still pretty ruinous because it's so, such an enormous castle. Uh, and actually, it sort of is a, plays a very important yeah. role in how Viserys ends up becoming king. I, 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 my understanding is that this, from what we've seen is that the show from the trailers, the show will actually open at Harrenhal. So you will definitely get to see it. Ah. Oh, yeah. I think I think that's one of the things I think is quite exciting is that Westeros and the, the whole universe is such a beautifully rendered thing on the show. And the opportunity to see it in such a different period, even down to the, if, if that impacts the way that people dress, uh, the way that the castles or the settlements are depicted. I just think it, that's when you really know that it's not the show we have watched previously, that it's like a completely new era or a previous era. And I think that's really exciting. That's definitely something that I'm looking forward to. And I think the throne is also way supercharged, way different this time. It's a little bit more like how it is in the books, where it's sort of gigantic, which I think is quite exciting. Yeah, I sat on it two days ago. Oh, <laughs> 
I thought you looked like you were in a little bit of pain today. <laughs> Still, it's from a, well, you know what? It's it's a lot comfier than the one they had for Game of Thrones. That's the, whoever molded that molded this one has done a much better job. But yeah, there, there's a lot more. We've seen the pictures of. Of, of it in the trailer there are, there are now swords coming up from the ground around it it's 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 a lot higher there seems to be like extra levels to the to the throne i guess presumably we'll find out what happens to all of those because we know that they don't stick around they don't they don't stay like that right but this is the original iron throne that we're seeing now is it yeah but that's correct obviously george's what he always wanted i mean it, it's, a, it's a good attempt to try and capture more of what the throne should be like but that the the real throne in george's imagination as he writes it he called it a monstrously huge thing and we finally got an artist to uh for world rise fire uh mark simonetti who managed to depict it in close consultation with george and and he kept sending drafts to george george's like more swords more <laughs> swords uh it's huge it's probably 20 feet tall but it's yeah. completely impractical for a hollywood production they, they they mentioned this they would have loved to have managed it but it's they can't have this massive thing in the set and try and you know have a dolly for the camera uh showing uh you know the, the king way up above everyone else so so but they I probably have actors falling down from it you know dangerous. Damn, we have to get a new one for the king because he fell down and he broke his neck and <laughs> yeah uh so that wouldn't be very good but i think this is a really good compromise of taking the more basic version that they did for Game of Thrones because obviously it's become so iconic for people and then trying to make it a little bit more monstrous by over the top by adding the swords around it and 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 bulking it up like that so that it looks uh, more intimidating it does look very intimidating chris before we move on we're going to move on to talk about the you know the the producers and the tv show and the casts and the characters and all that kind of stuff but chris how how are you feeling about it you know we've spoken a few times in the run-up to this and and i think you you share a sentiment that probably isn't that unusual actually that a lot of people are quite nervous about the show i think excited is we're excited to see it but also quite nervous right yeah i think prequels are very hard i think a prequel or any follow-up to one of the most uh one of the biggest shows in the modern pop culture i think following that up is very hard i think the expectations are really hard so there's definitely a sort of unease is maybe the wrong word but like a sense of like how are you going to pull this off because it's a lot hanging in the balance having said that having watched the new trailers have dropped quite late i think for a tv show that is like a big legacy media show and it's only recently that there's been a new trailer maybe a week ago or maybe a little bit longer and i've been re-watching that and all the excitement is there like seeing like just the dragons swooping along seeing the characters there's just we're getting a lot more information the closer we're getting to the premiere date and i think that is what's kind of starting to reassure me that it just looks sensational and you know i remember when the first second series of game of thrones came out you know it was done on quite a, a budget really it was restrained and it's grown in terms of budget this feels like they're attacking house of the dragon with like season eight money yeah i mean it looks amazing and i think watching it for me like i'm just like i think it's been such a good year for television generally uh, even last year it's been great but there's been nothing like this there's been nothing on this scale And I just know, like, it's going to sort of take over my life for the next six, seven years. So, you know, I'm kind of fully in now. But I think, yeah, definitely was a sense of cautious kind of how is this going to work or... You know, it doesn't feel like that long at all. So to come roaring back, quite literally, with something this polished, with I think the casting in it is outstanding. It just feels like they they could have could have pulled off the impossible, maybe. 
Yeah, I think I think you're possibly right. We'll move on to we'll talk about the characters in a sec. But you know, you mentioned there, you know, prequels are really difficult to get right, and the makers, you know, HBO and and, and whatnot have, have been able to learn from a lot of mistakes, not their own, but you know, prequels in general. There's been more wor- there's been more bad ones mm. than there have been good ones. You know, I asked people on online on Twitter uh, who follow Dragoncast underscore yeah. part, just said, you know. What are good examples of of that? And, th- you know, I think mainly because I think Better Call Saul finishes on Monday. It's its final episode on Monday. It's, that's quite fresh in mind. That's a great example of mm. how right you can get it when you do it properly. Because Better Call Saul doesn't even feel like a, it feels like a companion to Breaking Bad, but, it, you know, it's been a masterclass of how you interweave mm. um, timelines like that. And I don't think we need to worry about House of Dragon. We don't need, we don't need to worry about baby Daenerys being born quite yet. But, um, but the, the event, you know, we'll be here in 10 years time <laughs> waiting for Daenerys to be born, I guarantee it. Um, but, you know, Godfather Part 2 was like a sequel and a prequel at the time. Stephen, or oh, Stephen East has said that. And maybe I'm related to him. Is he rich? Well, <laughs> um, uh, Mark Thomas said Better Call Saul. And Ed Foster made, made a good point. Um, the Star Wars prequels were universally kind of panned. And I think, you know, Attack of the Clones probably still can get in the sea. But there's now a lot of affection for Phantom Menace and, and for um, Revenge of the... Was it Revenge of the Sith? No, Return... What was the final one? Yeah, Revenge of the Sith. It was Re- Revenge of yeah. the Sith, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, I have the high ground Anakin is now classed, classed as a bit of an iconic iconic line. But they said they they learned from their mistakes of that and then created Rogue One, um, which which is is an incredible kind of prologue to to a new hope. It feels it feels like they've chosen the timeline really well here because they by by choosing something that is so far before Daenerys and Tyrion and and the, the the characters that we that we love they they don't have to worry about how from a script writing point of view they they weave all of that in and they could have done the night's watch 50 years before and it would have been a nightmare because it would have just been too complicated do you think that was in their minds do you think do you think that's why they chose this era apart from the fact that everybody on social media just says we just want more dragons uh, elio and linda what do you think to that is, is was it quite a calculated well obviously they they tossed around a lot of ideas and the initially the pilot that they filmed was going much further back and it seems to be that they felt that the connection was too tenuous. It There wasn't enough in it that felt like Game of Thrones at all. And there was too much of a blank slate. For those that don't know, there was a, a pilot made uh, by HBO, which was set in the, in the era of the, the creation of the Children of the Forest, right? It was, you know, very, very, like you say, very far removed from that. And it, it didn't see mm. the light of day. Sorry, go on. Yeah, so I think that they tested that. And then they, obviously they had all these other pitches, which had various levels of, A, various levels of material, from George and be various degrees of connection to Game of Thrones and the fact that they then landed on the Dance of the Dragon uh, as the main event in the history that they wanted to portray I think George had a lot to do with it Uh, this was the one that George championed the most I think and felt the most that it had it is a story that very much connects to the the whole Targaryen history, but it also stands on its own as a large event, a pivotal moment in the history with lots of inter-character drama 
and still a contained story. I mean, it, it's a huge story in some ways because of the, you know, the effects that are going to be needed with all the dragons involved. But it is still a relatively contained story space-wise. We're not going to be following people flung out all over Westeros and Essos in the same way that Game of Thrones did. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Right, we're going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, we're going to delve into uh, the, the, the TV side of it and work out who's playing what, what wigs they're wearing and who's filming all the stunts. We'll be back right after this. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Dragoncast, uh, episode one of Dragoncast, brand new podcast by me, Jamie East, uh, joined by Chris Mandel, uh, knight of Little Pinky of the King, and uh, <laughs> Elio and Linda. Uh, <laughs> I hate, I hate that Nick. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to sort a nickname out before next week. <laughs> It sounds like a penis, doesn't it? Let's be honest. Uh, we'll, we'll, change, we'll change that for next week. <laughs> and Elio and Linda from Westeros.org. They're the insiders. They have. They could literally text George R. Martin now if they wanted to. He probably doesn't even... T- does he text? Does George R. Martin text? I can't imagine he does. He, he texts, but we, we email him mostly. Fine. Yeah. And someone prints it out. Someone ties it to a raven and sends it to him in his wolf sanctuary. Yeah. That's how he answered it. Right. Um, okay, so... We've given people a bit of the history of the universe of, of Westeros and where we are in the grand scheme of things. Let's talk now about how they've brought it onto the screen. Those who may you may may not know, uh, Daniel and David, who are the showrunners of the original Game of Thrones, whose vision it was, you know, to 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 bring this whole thing to life originally, are no longer attached to it. I would imagine they're quite relieved about that. Uh, this at this point in their lives, they're, they're glad not to have to to worry about about taking on this legacy. But the people that have taken that on are uh, people that if you if you've watched all the TV shows you'll be familiar with. Uh, Miguel Sapochnik, uh, who directed arguably or even unarguably some of the, the best episodes of Game of Thrones, or certainly the most memorable ones. Hard Home, which was the uh, episode with the, where we first really saw the Night King's power and he gave it the big come on brother to John in, on, the, on the shore. Battle of the Bastards and The Long Night. All three of those still give me goosebumps. Whenever I need a, a cheer... Well, maybe not cheer up, but whenever I need to kind of like feel good, I go and watch those episodes. <laughs> so Miguel directed those. He's directing a few of these episodes, but his overall 
he's kind of like the daddy of this now. And then we've got Ryan Condal. He's also an experienced showrunner and an Ice and Fire super fan as well. We're in safe hands with these guys, right? Uh, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really without any shade intended to the people behind Game of Thrones. I think it's a great idea to bring new people in at the helm to to run this because I think it, we, we talked before the break about prequels. I think the worst thing you can do is try and recreate what you're a prequel to. So I think this should feel different to Game of Thrones, but have a lot of the same aesthetics and a lot of the same identity. And I think having someone like Miguel, who's directed the really meaty, cinematic, beautiful and intense episodes is a great idea. I think Ryan is also someone that like George R. R. Martin is very fond of in terms of his understanding of like law, but also what the books are and what they're trying to say. So I think they're really, I'd be, I'm really interested in what they do differently. I'd be really interested in how that they, how they can make House of the Dragons look and feel different to Game of Thrones while also sort of threading it with a lot of the same things. But I think it's really cool. It feels like the biggest fans and the most talented people from Game of Thrones are kind of front and centre, which is like, what more could you ask for? Yeah. What do you think, uh, Elio and Linda? I think it's great. Um, Miguel, you know, Hardhome was an, an amazing episode. He's done a lot of other things that I've seen. Uh, it's all really good. And I know that he actually first worked with Ryan Condal on a pitch for a Conan the Barbarian TV series. And actually, Condal is not just a super fan of Ice and Fire. He's a super fan of, of the genre in general and, and you know, the Hollywood movies. Uh, in fact, he, like you, Jamie, he is a podcaster, uh, which I found, I've been listening to his podcast about collecting props and it's really fascinating stuff. I thought you were going to tell me it was about House of Dragon for a minute. I thought I was in real trouble. (laughs) No, no. No, no. He has a podcast with another writer called uh, The Stuff That Dreams Are Made Of which is all about they're collecting Hollywood movie props and they love they love the classic you know films. They love Aliens and Blade Runner and Star Wars uh, so it's, it's all, you know, all in our wheelhouse. So I, I've, I've enjoyed that. So I, and I just listening to him and he's dropped some hints about things he's been working on House of a Dragon, the things he cares about. Uh, he has a lot of passion for it. And I, I am very much looking forward to, to how it comes out on the screen. Certainly bits of a trailer have really captured my imagination. Like there's clearly a big tournament in the, the, you know, in the show, uh, with, we see some of the action in those trailers. And I think back to Game of Thrones, that first season where no one knew David and Dan had not run shows before. They were brand new to it. And HBO had given them all this trust and a certain amount of money. And I remember tell, them telling me afterwards, like, you know, we ran out of money. We couldn't do the whole tournament. So, uh, we had bad weather. And so we had to kind of find some way to cut it short. And it became a very small tournament. Uh, so seeing finally this really big tournament is uh, is going to be really cool. And what, what kind of, uh, I mean, do dragons take part in the tournament or is it more traditional <laughs> swords? And because that would be a very short tournament, wouldn't it, really? It would be quite chaotic. <laughs> it would have been a very short tournament. No, it, it is the uh, the style that we are used to from, you know, A Knight's Tale and, and what have you with uh, knights riding at each other in the lists. And, and right. uh, it seems occasionally... Uh, getting into each other with the swords as well and so on so it, it is a proper medieval tournament uh not on dragon back that that would have been a an interesting version with the, you know knights going at each other on uh, on dragon back maybe that'll some, be something we'll see uh later on in the show <laughs> do you know i mean i don't know if anybody really knows really you know miguel's Forte is the big set piece. It's the it's the it's the episode long battles, the stunts, the the 
thousands of extras, the CGI, we can expect at least two or three of those things, right? What's that nine going to be, for goodness sake, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's some major stuff that happens, I think, uh, across the whole of the events that they're going to cover. Uh, knock on wood, we, the second season hasn't been confirmed, but I think... You know, I assume hey, it'll, it'll look, happen. We wouldn't be here if we didn't think a second season was coming. What a waste of time that would be, right? <laughs> Can enough. you imagine yeah. if they cancelled this? <laughs> Just said, actually, no, we're done. No, actually, it's, we're, we're tired now. No, goodness me. Um, the, you know, we mentioned it before. The money is all on the screen this time around. Chris, you talked about it. You know, you look back to the first episode of season one of Game of Thrones and Jamie's wig, and you know, it's all pretty. It's, it's Cersei and, and Jamie going at it in the tower with all the hay. It just looks like some. It looks like. It looks like. Do you know? Remember? Remember the the, the touring theater at the end of Game, like in the latter scenes of Game <laughs> yeah. of Thrones. That's what the first seasons just looked like all the time, right? Yeah. Tyrion's hair looked like he just stepped out of a salon <laughs> they made him blonde didn't they he was blonde at first and the big one for me is that is the hunt that they didn't have the the money for the hunt so it's like it's a monty python version of the hunt where the guys are exactly. they've almost got the coconuts for the horses because they're, they're walking in the woods going hunting with the king and uh, uh it's just about time to bring in the coconuts so no it's quite clear that this is uh as you said this season eight money from the get-go by the looks of it. And it's going to capture the, the scale of Westeros right from the start. And we'll see it not just at a point where it's a full-on war, basically. We'll see the scale of um, the, what the money can buy you in, in peacetime, so to speak. We, we will have uh, the dragons out and flying with the riders. We will have this great tournament and there will be various conflicts and such to to sort out uh even in the first season that uh should look fantastic because of uh, uh the direction and the money do you think they're gonna be able to chris do you think they're gonna be able to maintain the level of political intrigue and betrayal and shock that we we've come to expect you know people are going to be watching episode nine of season one of house of the dragon going this is the one this is the one. Who's going to get it? You know, <laughs> Any minute now. Yeah, well, I think that's a, just before I answer that question, I do think what I when, when I mentioned earlier, like I hope they sort of don't stick to the script too much. I really hope they aren't like episode nine's the big cliffhanger, guys. But in terms of I think there's going to be so much intrigue because what I understand and bear in mind, I understand a lot less than Ellie and Linda here. But what I understand is this is one family collapsing from the inside and I think that is just a, just a different way of thinking about this political intrigue. It's still the same idea that people want the throne. There are people vying for power and there are different factions, but I feel like we're, ex we're exposing this from a very different angle. And yeah, I think there's a lot to explore because I think it's all these people that are inherently part of one identity, one house, Targaryens. What does it mean to be a Targaryen? Uh, what does it mean to rule? And that's always been a sort of central theme in this show. And I think rather than having different families vying for it, you've got this central tenet that is not in agreement on what, uh, who should rule. I think the thing about Game of Thrones is like the show ran the full gamut, all the scheming, all the manipulation. But I mean, if there's this much material to do a show off, then I feel like we almost maybe haven't seen anything yet in terms of what people will do. Uh, you know, we know it ends horrifically, so I can only assume there's a lot of uh, chaos ready to unfold. Well, this is it. I mean, the one thing that we do know about Targaryens, even those that have only watched a few episodes of Game of Thrones, 
Targaryens are mental. <laughs> they're just they're just mental. And now we've got a whole season where they're all in charge and they're rich and they've got castles and dragons and soldiers. And you know that alone is 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 pretty tantalizing, right? It's 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 ripe for high drama. Okay, let's discuss the characters in House of the Dragon and who they've got to play them. Elio Linda, tell us in as succinct as a way as you can. Uh, to those uh, that don't know, we'll start at the top. King Viserys Targaryen. Who hell he? He is the fifth Targaryen king to rule over seven kingdoms. He is the grandson of Jaehaerys, the, the old king who brought 50 years of peace and plenty to seven kingdoms and he loves to party. He loves to party, brilliant, <laughs> excellent. And he is played by, Chris, he's played by Paddy Considine. We've got Paddy Considine playing King Viserys Targaryen. I mean, he is one of the finest actors uh, we've produced. Uh, I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, I loved him in Journeyman, he was amazing in that. He's just such a, such an amazing person to anchor this show. I think he's got the sort of, he feels like a combination of like Mark Addy and Sean Bean in terms of he's quite great, but also I think has a really fun side to him. And he's just a legendary actor. And I think having him kind of helm the series or the first series, at least, I mean, I assume like he starts, he's the king. Can't imagine he lasts for long. That's just my theory. Uh, that just feels like a really exciting point to start the show off. Having a legendary actor. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't agree more. Okay, next up, we've got Damon Targaryen. Linda, who hell he? Oh, he's a very colourful figure. He is the brother of King Viserys. And he is someone who's going to be, I think, a very strong, forceful personality on the show. Because he's, uh, George has said he's his favourite Targaryen. And that means he is extra everything. And he is played by someone very familiar to uh, British TV fans, Wibbly Wobbly Time Lord, uh, Chris. <laughs> yeah, Matt Smith is playing him, which I think, again, is just the most inspired casting. Like, if you want to know, if you want to have faith in what this is, you've got Paddy Considine and Matt Smith playing brothers, very different. I just think Matt Smith, apart from his recent stint in Morbius, is an absolutely brilliant actor, and he always chooses his projects very carefully. And I think having him as this charming, scheming, nefarious, handsome, swashbuckling kind of dragon riding super hunk is just inspired. So, yeah. I yeah, can't wait for that. I have to agree. I saw the, saw the trailer, you know, when I think the early photos of him on the beach shot down in Cornwall in, in England came out. It's yeah. like, oh, wow, okay, this looks pretty cool. But when the, when the trailer comes out, uh, we'll beep this. But I was like, my God, he looks like a right and I love it. <laughs> uh, he's actually called uh, the Rogue Prince in one of the uh, bits that George has written about him. And uh, Damon reminds me of that line about Lord Byron. He's mad, bad and dangerous to know. Yes, that's what we want from Doctor Who. Fantastic. And a bit of behind the scenes for everybody. When I did my throne cast Wisdoms uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had to talk about all the Targaryens. And for some reason, I could not get this name right. First of all, it was Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra, you know, is it Rhaenyra, right? Rhaenyra Targaryen. Uh, Elio and Linda, the first lady of uh, House of the Dragon that we're going to meet. Who is she? She is the daughter of Viserys. She is, in fact, the only child of Viserys at this point in time. And uh, there is a big question mark about that, whether in Westeros, Westeros is very misogynist, very sexist, and people are kind of questioning, can she really be queen? So, in fact, for uh, when I think the show starts, in fact, the heir to the throne is 
the king's brother Damon. But uh, there may be questions about that as the show progresses. Okay. And Chris, for reasons that we'll, we'll go into now, there are two actors playing uh, Rhaenyra. Yeah, this is something that Game of Thrones didn't really do until later on, but there are flashbacks. Uh, so we're getting characters in different stages of their lives. Emma Darcy is playing Rhaenyra as an adult. Emma identifies as non-binary and uses they, them, whereas the character is female. Uh, and uh, Millie Alcock is playing a young Rhaenyra. Now, I don't know a lot about Emma Darcy, but all the promo leading up to the show, Emma just comes across like a total rock star. And I feel like Emma is going to be the breakout star of this first Ooh. season. I think just Bold claims. Bold claims off a trailer. Everything they embody. Just honestly, like I just get this amazing energy from seeing them uh, on the red carpets, doing interviews, doing press. And I just think it's a really exciting, we've sort of had this in Game of Thrones, uh, women born into a very male dominated system, trying to carve out space for themselves. But I think this could be a really exciting addition to that sort of storyline. Let's. I'm just really excited to see where it goes. So Elliot, on the time jumps, uh, what eras are we spanning? Presumably we, we jump do we jump back or jump ahead? Which which is present day uh, Rhaenyra, do we know? I, I guess present day, the bulk of the show, it's going to be Emma de Arcy. But my understanding, again, is that these, the start of a show and for the first, I don't know how many episodes, it'll be the young actress playing the younger version of Rhaenyra. Got you. Okay, fine. And it's safe to say, I think, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, any criticism that was thrown at um, the original Game of Thrones was its portrayal of women, was its portrayal of, uh, you know, of a few things, that it would be fair to say that House of the Dragon has made great gains in trying to put right. Would that be fair to say, do we think? I mean, this, this, the story the storyline of, you know, with Rhaenyra's not being the natural heir to the throne feels very modern day that, that, we're, that we're tackling these kind of issues. Elliot and Linda. Yeah, it's uh, very true. Uh, actually, I'm thinking of, of Matt Smith and The Crown, of course. He was Philip in that, and that has uh, some resonance. But uh, certainly, uh, you know, when George took the material for Dance of Dragons, he, he turned it into a short story. And that short story focused the Dance of Dragons on the princess and the queen is the title of that story. And so that really tells you... The women are are very central to the Dance of the Dragons. Brilliant. And now here's a couple of names or, or a family that, that the viewers of the TV show will have no clue. Um, if you're like me, you'd be like, wasn't this the really big policeman in Police Academy? But Otto Hightower uh, is Hand of, the, <laughs> Hand of the King. Now, Hightowers, I've not read the books, as, as you guys know. I uh, wasn't allowed to. And I still haven't read the books because uh, who's got the time for that at the moment? But... <laughs> High towers. Where where were these in Game of Thrones? Well, they are an ancient, ancient family. Uh, so they've been in Westeros for ages. So they were absolutely around in the timeline of Game of Thrones. Uh, they were a storyline and characters that did not end up featuring in the stories that were portrayed on the TV show. Uh, but they were definitely there. They are the their seat. The High Tower uh, is in Old Town, which is the uh, second largest city in Westeros. So, so it's a very important place. That is also where the Citadel is, where the Maesters go to learn. And uh, it's also important for the faith of the Seven. So uh, they are very significant, very influential, very rich. 
Uh, and uh, they have a much bigger role to play, politically speaking, at this time period. Okay, and Otto is the hand of King Viserys, right? That's right, right. yeah. Perfect. So he's like, you know, if we're going to draw comparisons to people that, that want those comparisons to the TV, Otto Hightower is, is the Ned Stark to, to the King Robert, right? That's right. Gotcha. That's right. He's uh, unlike Ned, he is... Uh, he is a born, player of the Game of Thrones. Yeah, he plays <laughs> Game of Thrones. He's ambitious and he's a very learned man. He's uh, and he's very political. Okay, great. So a, a, a lot less passive than than Ned Stark. Then fair to say. Yeah, great. And uh, Chris, another British great. Yeah, Reese the fans like absolutely amazing. I just think this season is the casting on it is incredible. I I just think him. And Paddy sort of bartering about what to do. Uh, I mean, it's kind of hard, isn't it? Because I don't have any idea what happens. I just know there's going to be a lot of fallings out about who's owed what. But yeah, I'm really intrigued because I remember the High Towers from the books very vaguely. Um, I knew that Old Tower was sort of where they were based. I couldn't remember if um, I couldn't remember if any of them had been in the books or if whatever. But I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool that the High Towers. And uh, the sea snake, who probably are about to talk about in a second, is going to be in the show because these are very like legendary houses uh, in Game of Thrones. It was a new casting, uh, new casting director this time around. Early, and I interviewed the, the the casting of the original Game of Thrones. It was Nina Gold oh, really? who discovered Kit Harrington and you know yeah. and, and Amelia and all that kind of stuff. And now we've got someone called, uh, according to IMDb, anyway, we've got Kate Rhodes James, who um, I, yeah, forget, I'm sure she would be devastated to know. I'm not aware of her work. I'm, I don't know many casting directors' works. I have to say, <laughs> uh, she's directed. She she cast uh, House of Gucci, Line of Duty, Raised by Wolves. The Ridley Scott one, not the Catelyn Moran one. She's got, yeah, she's she's done some good stuff. Uh, Bodyguard, Discovery of Witches. Oh, she's mm. done tons. She's my god, she's done a lot. I'm, I can't even scroll to the end of her IMDb. So in safe hands, but like like you say, if you were casting House of the Dragon, very difficult to compare. But you know, Nina Gold did a terrific job of spotting Maisie and um, and all of that gang from Game of Thrones, for which was a completely unknown quantity and and unknown title everyone was a bit sniffy because we just had lord of the rings so it must have been tricky to cast that i can't imagine there were that many no's thrown kate's way uh this time round. i would imagine uh hiya i'm just calling about house that yes <laughs> you know that that's that's how most of those most of those must have gone right well, I believe Paddy Considine had said no to Game of Thrones, hadn't he? It must have been, yeah. I think that just he noted in an interview. <laughs> so he got a second chance. He would have been, I think he would have been a good little finger. Maybe a little bit too tall and rugged, but he could have been a good... Maybe he was like a, a Ned Stark, but just considered too young, or he thought he was too young. You know, how wasn't Piers Brosnan offered mm. um, James Bond, like, just before Timothy Dalton, but thought he was too young? You know, maybe it's a bit of that. I think casting the younger characters is such an art because when you cast someone like Maisie or Isaac, you're really also casting them for who they're going to be in 10 or 11 years' time. The, the casting on Game of Thrones is immaculate. And I think everything on this, as you said, the success of the show, who wouldn't want to be in HBO's flagship like yeah. show? But yeah. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to uh, be able to 
earn their pension from Comic-Con for the next 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> and have an action figure made of oh, you. I, would, I just want my like oh, long-time ambition. I'd love that. Um, okay, let's, so Otto is Reesiffens, and then we've got presumably his daughter, Alison Tower. Is that right? Daughter? Yeah. Uh, what do we know about her? So I'm not really sure if the show's doing this, but in, in, the, in Fire and Blood, she was brought by Otto during the reign of King Jaehaerys and his last years. He was, he was the old king. He was very old. And he was, you know, getting a bit senile in his old age. And she would read to him and just be sort of a, a companion and a comfort to him. And I gather they, she sticks around and... Uh, her story gets a lot bigger than that as time goes by. Okay, I love these these dot dot these ellipses we're getting at the end of uh, Elio all the time. It's like only time will tell. Um, and again, we've we've got two actors uh, playing uh, Alicent. Uh, what do we know about them, Chris? Yeah, so the older of the two is Olivia Cook, who is a fantastic emerging British uh, actress. I say emerging; she was in um, Ready Player One about five years ago, four years ago, perhaps. Uh, but she was in Slow Horses recently in a slightly reduced role. I thought such a great series that. Oh my god, it's so good! And she's in Sound of Metal as well. Oh, um, amazing! Really, yeah. really think she's long overdue, like a massive role like this. And I think again, when you cast someone like her. Uh, you know, as Elio uh, implied that this is, role is going to be quite a substantial one. And I think, yeah, there's the two families, Targaryens and the High Towers, both occupying parts of the inner circle and in these different generations. I think there's a lot of potential there for a very, yeah, thorny sort of conflicts. And uh, yeah, I just think it's great. Another great one. <laughs> there is a little bit in this, isn't there, where, where it's like, okay, which actors are big enough to go, I'm not sticking around just for three episodes, mate. I'm in it for the long haul. Do you know what I mean? There's a little bit of that, right? Although we all made that mistake with uh, Sean Bean. Yeah. Also, I just wanted to mention, also I forgot to say, Emily Carey plays young Alicent. Gotcha. Is she a newcomer? We don't know know much about her, right? I don't really know her. I'm not really familiar with her work. But I think Olivia for me, Olivia for me though, is like sort of looks a little bit like um, Marjorie Terrell. Just very like classically beautiful, like very like Renaissance painting-y, but I think slow horses, she was like running around with a gun, like, you know, breaking into buildings. So I just think smush those two things together and you've got like a good, a good lead for this show. (laughs) Okay. uh, This is a character I'm really excited to kind of find out about. It's the, I guess the most visually striking from, from, from the trailer. And and it's like, wow, this feels, feels slightly progressive for Game of Thrones, but it also feels quite exciting. It's uh, Corlys Valerian. Is that right? Have I pronounced that right? Please help me. I've always said Valerian. I I don't know how we'll say it on the show, but. uh... Valerian. I'm thinking of the steel, aren't I? That's where I'm going. I'm thinking of. I think they're saying Valerian. Yeah, oh, from yeah. what I've heard. Okay, but Corliss is that is that is Corliss that correct? Is correct is that the yeah. first name. This is the sea snake, who we yeah. know as the sea snake. Uh, if you watch the trailer, it's the awesome looking dude with the white dreadlocks. That's all you need to know. What do we know about uh, the sea snake, uh, Elio Menendez? Who is he? Oh, he's a amazing character. Actually, uh, he is the greatest explorer of his age. He has famous for his nine voyages across unknown parts yes. of, uh, and then he married a Targaryen princess and is the has become the richest man in the seven kingdoms he's richer than the Lannisters I like this guy <laughs> this guy's got everything yeah. wow okay fine is he is he kind of has he pledged an allegiance to any particular house to any kind of is he or is he kind of floating around Littlefinger style sure he is uh, I mean the, so he rules the seat of Driftmark and it is an island that's right next to Dragonstone so officially he is sworn to to the Targaryens and his family have had a long association 
negotiation with the Targaryens. They commanded the ships ever since Aegon the Conqueror landed. You know, it was a Valorian who was commanding his his fleet, and they have traditionally commanded the whole fleet of the Seven Kingdoms. Amazing. So he sounds pretty well developed as a character. He looks great. What do we know about the guy that's playing him, Chris? Uh, he's played by Steve Toussaint. Uh, I kind of know him from your sort of Sunday night ITV dramas, uh, Line of Duty, Scott and Bailey, that sort of thing. Really excited to see how he fits into the larger picture. My understanding is that he is married to a Targaryen and they've got a huge fleet. And my association with like the seafaring people in Game of Thrones is the Ironborn. But these... This house sounds like the sort of classier version of the Ironborn, right? Like, uh, would that be right, or are they just as nefarious? Uh, much, 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 much classier. Uh, that's absolutely true. Um, <laughs> it's, it's the royal fleet. Okay. They're, they're much uh, tidier. They're like middle class uh, Ironborn. Less, uh, less Viking. I mean, they are, you know, there are knights of House Valerian and so on. So they are very much in yeah. the the main Westerosi culture. Yeah. And I also had a question about this house, which is, are, is this house still around in Game of Thrones and in the, the Song of Ice and Fire books? Are they still around just in the background? Uh, they are around. In fact, if you've read you know, A Feast for Crows, the fourth book, uh, a, a bastard of the family shows up and plays an important kind of role uh, in things that happen in King's Landing. So, yes, they are definitely around. They've been mentioned since the second book, but they, you know, for Game of Thrones, they just didn't bother having so many of these secondary houses or tertiary houses around. Their bastards have the surname Waters, is that right? That's correct. Because they're, yeah. they're sort of based on an island. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Be very cool. Yeah. Ah, love a bit of a swashbuckler as well. You know, I guess sure. Prince Oberyn was the closest we had. But this guy sounds like a cross between Indiana Jones, the Jack Sparrow that it's still okay to like, and, <laughs> uh, and, and Magnum P.I. He sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now, let's move on to, to someone who I am like super, super excited to, to find out about and learn about, mainly because I'm such a big fan of, of, of the actor actress that's playing her. Princess Rainey's Valerion. Is that right, Rainey's? Did I pronounce that right? I'm getting it all out now. So for the next 10 episodes, I get it right. This, I think, and I know nothing about it, but I get the sense that... Um, her character is going to be intrinsic to the implosion of uh, what we're about to watch. Would that be fair to say? She seems to carry a lot of bitterness, Elio and Linda. She does, and it's not for nothing. I mean, she's called the queen who never was. She was one of the people who could have inherited the Iron Throne at one point, but was passed over for a male heir. Uh, that was when they basically made the decision to look at, okay, can we have a female who's going to inherit Iron Throne? And that could have been Princess Rhaenys. It didn't happen, okay. so some people refer to her as the queen who never was. And... Um, she hasn't quite gotten over that. So she's King Viserys's cousin. That is um, correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I guess I guess then that you know the the question around whether Rhaenyra is allowed to, to sit on the throne would rankle her greatly. It's like, well, how the, how the fuck is she allowed on the thing if I wasn't that kind of thing? <laughs> it's certainly. I, I mean, she wasn't just passed over once. Actually, she was passed over twice for the throne. Uh, so she definitely has that. Uh, but, you know, she did make a very good marriage with Corlys Valorian. It's this wealthy, you know, influential, exciting figure. And, and, and there's one other thing. She has a dragon. Okay, right. So just to clarify, she, she's the wife of the sea snake. That is correct. Yeah. 
that's correct. Right. Okay, fine. And yeah, so you don't have to like give, you don't have to hand in your dragon if you lose the Targaryen surname. No, and technically actually in the books it's quite common to still refer to women of very prominent houses who marry. We tended to see Cersei referred to as Cersei Lannister, even though she was married to Robert Baratheon. So quite often Rhaenys yeah, is referred point. to as Rhaenys Targaryen, because that is the mo- more prominent uh, house of the two, and it, she sort of keeps that connection. It has a little bit of the pride thing. She's going to keep the m- more powerful name. And, and once you have a dragon, you have that dragon for life. Uh, it is a bond between oh, dragon okay. and, and rider. You don't have to uh, hand in your dragon rider card. Unless you're a knight king. <laughs> you just you take whatever the hell you want. Brilliant. And uh, tell us about Eve Best, please, Chris. Well, my favourite Eve Best role is Wallace Simpson in The King's Speech. That's my, my yeah. favorite, one of my favourite <laughs> films. So I'm so excited. I have to say also, when they first started revealing the cast photos way back when, I didn't even recognize her. So mm. I had a bit of a secondary like, oh shit, she's in this. This is amazing. She's just so cool. Ladbrook Grove, I think she was born. So, you know, a bit of yeah. a bit of uh, West London represent. I just think also the like the way that they've got different houses working together and forming these like partnerships is just I just excited thinking about it. And I think what what it means to give up your name when you marry or retain it or what does it mean if you identify as a Targaryen and it politically or otherwise, I think just gets me excited thinking about it. I think it's so much potential on this show because it's it's doing things similarly but also very differently to to Game of Thrones. Absolutely. She was in uh I, I first saw a Nurse Jackie. She played. She played. Uh, oh, I never watched that. Oh, Nurse Jackie's great. Oh, it was at the beginning, anyway. Aren't they? Aren't they all? Um, <laughs> but um, interestingly enough, she's she seems to like be have, have caught the eye of, of online as well. She's the she's had lots of fan accounts created for her. I've noticed lots of lots oh, really? of Eve best fans online, kind of like following me once I put up a picture of Thronecast and stuff. Yeah, so she's she's a popular choice, I think. But yeah, tantalizingly good. I think. Kind of Catelyn Stark esque in terms of like feels like a character that we that we're gonna really not admire is the wrong word but really uh, relate to I guess would be yeah that's where that's where I, that's why I am at the moment I'll probably change it all five minutes into episode <laughs> one but there we go that's my that's my prerogative um, so Kristen Cole who hell he Elio and Linda who's next on my list we've got a couple more yeah Kristen Cole is uh, a relatively poor knight. He, his father was a steward for a lord in, in the Dornish marches. And I believe on the show, they decided to clarify that he is actually of a, part, a Dornish descent or partially Dornish. Um, the Dornish marches okay. border Dorn. And he is a knight uh, who shows up at a at a tournament and turns out to be, uh, you know, surpassingly skilled. And uh, he, he, you know, he, an ambitious young knight can have a, have a big future in King's Landing. Okay, so we don't know. He's as new to all of the, the characters in the House of the Dragon when we meet him, is he? Right, brilliant. I like all of that. And who's playing him? I don't recognise him, Chris. Tell me about him. No, this is someone that uh, listeners may not be that familiar with. Uh, it's Fabian Frankel. Okay. Uh, relatively uh, new name. Uh, what I will say, uh, he has a relationship to Game of Thrones in some ways oh. because he was opposite Amelia Clark in the 2019 film Last Christmas, which oh my God, I was he? love this film. Yeah, he's one of the guys that she like hooks up. Oh, with. he is, isn't he? Yes. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. I just want to say, I love this film so much and everyone hated it when it came out. I know we're recording this in August, so, but uh, Jamie, it's so good. Chris, it's a I sack of shit. It's a it. sack of shit, mate. Come on. 
<laughs> the thing is, though, if you move, if you move past that, if you move past the brilliant. fact that it's the second <laughs> shit, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so good. It's so good. It's better if you if you know the twist because you can stop thinking, oh, they're trying to make this a plot twist. Anyway, he was in that. He's going to be great in this. Justice for last Christmas. <laughs> Is it too late it's to cancel this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the worst, one of the worst plot twists in of the century. I would just say. Yeah, but like I said, we have to watch that now. Watch it. It's, it desec- guys, it's desec- on Netflix. Guys, it's on Netflix. Desecrated the legacy of George Michael. That's all I'm going to say. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, it is I mean, a- it is an absolute mess. It's an absolute mess of a it film. Is. But like, honestly, it's got some endearing wow. things into it. I, I mean, <laughs> well, let's hope Fabian can uh, can exercise those ghosts and, and move move on from yeah. that. Uh, and finally, um, on on list of ones to watch for for everyone listening uh, is Missaria. I've just got one word. She's the Beyonce. She's the Madonna. She's the Adele. She's the Rylan of House of the Dragon. She's got just the one name. What do we know about Missaria? Uh, Missaria is also a sort of character that's going to be unknown to a lot of the characters in House of the Dragon, but she got an association with Prince Damon. And uh, she's going to play a fairly significant part as we go on. But uh, it's difficult to say that much about her without being spoilery, except that she's got a close connection to okay. him and she's she's a foreigner to Westeros. That's part of the reason that she's just got the one name. She doesn't have a family in, in Westeros, so she's a foreigner. Okay, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go down to Ladbrokes. I'm going to say she's a baddie. I'm going to say she's a She's a baddie through and through. I'm looking at her cast picture. She's giving it the side eye. She's going, Targaryens, I'm going to fuck you up. That's what I'm getting from, from her. Am I, am, I, am I warm or cold? Am I fire or ice? Uh, fire. Yeah. Yay! There we go. The thing, I mean, the thing you've got to remember, though, that it, it is a civil war, so there's Targaryens on both sides. <laughs> true. This is true. This is true. And um, interestingly, also, she's, she's, she's in one of my favourite ever scenes put to cinema ever i know what that is uh chris can you guess what it is uh elio knows chris was, was she in was she in last <laughs> christmas as well ah <laughs> uh, no she was uh, the actor the actor actress however she wishes to uh present herself uh how do you pronounce her name chris i'm gonna hand that one over to you uh it's sonoya yeah, and she was in ex machina which was the uh just the incredible Alex Garland, one of my favourite science fiction films of all time, and she was the—I think I'm, I'm right in saying she was the she was the woman that did the dance with yeah. um, with uh, Oscar Isaac, right? Yeah, that's correct. That's right. Yeah, she's also been in Maniac, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, and she was in Annihilation as well. She's worked with Alex Garland a couple of times. Really exciting casting. Oh, that, Annihilation. That was the that was the, the the weird kind of Netflix. The one about the scientists. Yeah, well, it was it wasn't supposed to be released by Paramount, but I think Netflix bought the distribution after it after it filmed. It was the one where it was like about these four scientists. Oscar Isaac was in it, and like it tested really badly, so they did they didn't know what to do with it, so they just sold it to Netflix. But it's brilliant. It's quite trippy, isn't it? It's quite mushroomy. Yeah, yeah, it's like weird, psychotic, acidy. It's, it's great. I would okay, great. Recommend. Um, yeah, really, really cool casting. Really intrigued. I mean, I've, I have a cursory knowledge of like the source material that this show is set on. I know nothing about this character. So 
um, I'm really, really intrigued. Fantastic. I mean, what a great list. We've been through so many of them. What I'm also excited about is, is, that, is that these are like the ones that are being presented to us as the main characters. What we don't yet know are the ones that we're going to fall in love with that we didn't know that we were going to fall in love with at Game mm-hmm. of Thrones. I'm thinking about, you know, like Littlefinger became such a big part of our lives, you know, and... and yeah. Queen of Thorns, yeah, great yeah. example, somebody... Comes in late all of those, and, all know. of those kind of like not bit players, but just just really the hound. You know, we've, we, I don't think we've met our hound this time around. So it's, it's things like that, isn't it? That that make this show so great is that is that it's such an intrinsically and well developed universe that everyone arrives fully formed and fully developed. And 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 it, I, I can't wait. I cannot cannot wait. Uh, Chris, what are you looking forward to? We're looking forward now to episode one, season one, episode one of House of the Dragon. Mm. We know a little bit from what we've garnered from Elio and Linda today. What are you hoping for? What I'm most looking forward to is the discord, this sort of sense of, of chaos looming, because I think with Game of Thrones, there was this sense from the very start, something was wrong. There was a sense that something was going to shift, some gears were shifting, there was some sort of embers that were going to spark. So I'm just really looking forward to seeing that moment when, from what we've been talking about today, it sounds like it's a fairly peaceful uh, period in the kingdom and there's a sense of relative calm. I'm just looking forward to that first crack in the glass to see that everything's going to go to shit. Good phrase. And and yeah, you picked up on something quite important there. It's, it's one thing that I'm not sure we're going to get in House of the Dragon is that impending sense of doom that mm. that we had from, you know, winter is coming was such a wonderfully coined phrase. And like you say, the first scene that we, the first shot of Game of Thrones season one was that kind of symmetrical shape of the, of the, of the, of the body parts in the snow. Yeah. And you knew that there was, something that just could not be stopped. There was this unstoppable force coming to kill everything in its sight. I'm presuming we we don't have that kind of element in House of the Dragon. So this is this is very much a different kind of beast and, and we're going to have to kind of like attach ourselves to a different path, right, Elio and Linda? Yes, I mean, here we have more, the politics are not just the thing that is going to sort of be the distraction from the, the looming threat, which in a sense was the uh, the story of Game of Thrones that everyone was focusing on trying to gain the Iron Throne, whereas this threat uh, against the existence of mankind was looming over them. But here we're talking more about that the politics are the, the meat of the whole story, and we're looking at the impending doom of a family rather than of uh, the whole uh, the whole kingdom but obviously when you're talking about the ruling family that can still upset the cart for a lot of people amazing brilliant stuff um listen let's wrap this up we've we've had a great episode we've talked about so much now and if we've done anything for any listeners or people watching on the youtube channel i'm now 10 times more excited to watch this show than i was an hour ago i cannot Cannot wait. Um, Hello, Linda. Hopefully we can get you back at some point a bit later on in the series to kind of have a bit of catch up and see how you guys are getting on and, and how you're enjoying it. In the meantime, can you let listeners and viewers know uh, how they can find out a bit more about you? Sure. You can see us at uh, our website at www.westros.org. I'm also on Twitter as westrosorg altogether. Uh, and we have a Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash westros. Brilliant. Get all of your questions on to Elio and Linda on Twitter. They love it and they'll just answer them all. (laughs) And Chris is going to be joining me every single week. Sorry about that, Chris. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's, I was, you didn't ask where people can find me. Uh, I'm just around <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> just trying to just trying not You're to melt be here. in the heat. You'll be here. So, You'll be here. Yeah. We still are yeah. allowed to join you every week, despite the the uh, the Christmas movie thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll debate that. I mean, I'm going to speak to his agent. I'm going to come around to Jamie's house <laughs> and make him watch. <laughs> well, listen, uh, thanks very much for, for listening, everybody, to this. I'm not going to say episode one. It feels like a bit of a prologue because we're going to be speaking after every single episode of, of season one of House of the Dragons. It's going to get published at the same time as Thronecast would have been published uh, or would, would have been broadcast on Sky, which would be after the evening episode on Sky Atlantic of House of the Dragon. And uh, just want to say a big, shout out to all of my friends at Sky TV and now for their help and if you are in any way confused about where you can watch House of the Dragon and you're listening in the UK uh, or Ireland you go to sky.com and have a look there all the details are on there it's on demand it'll be streaming it'll be everywhere you will not be able to escape it we're back baby Westeros is back Uh, thank you so much for listening see you next time don't forget House of the Dragon airs exclusively on Sky Atlantic at 2am every Monday, then repeats that same evening at 10. You can also get it on demand via now. If you'd like to get involved in the podcast, just head over to Twitter at DragonCast underscore pod or email DragonCast at DaftDoris.com and leave us your Easter eggs, predictions and thoughts on the show. You can also watch this episode over on our YouTube channel. Just search for DragonCast Jamie East. Any support, whether it's a follow, a share, a mention to your friend on the bus or a tattoo on your backside is very much appreciated. DragonCast is hosted by me, Jamie East, along with Chris Mandel, produced by Connor Driscoll, edited by Buddy Peace, and is a Daft Doris production. Dracarys.